My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. in showing that there's a different way for unions to work in Manitoba. It's not enough, but I think it is a step and it certainly shows people the possibility of doing things differently, of bringing in new tactics that are more confrontational, that do put elected officials off their footing. That's the voice of Jo Curnow. She's today's guest on Talking Radical Radio. This show brings you grassroots voices from across Canada, We give you the chance to hear many different people who are involved in many different struggles, talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening can strengthen all of our efforts to change the world. Kurnow is a professor in the Faculty of Education at the University of Manitoba, a longtime community organizer, and a member of the Organizing and Communications team for the University of Manitoba Faculty Association, or UMFA. These days, the broader public sector in Canada is facing an ongoing slow-motion crisis in the form of incremental denial of adequate resources, forced piecemeal privatization and subordination to market forces, and the perpetual looming possibility of more overt and vicious attacks from hostile governments. So while there are local specificities to what UMFA had to face in its recent strike at the University of Manitoba, The broad features are relevant to what a lot of other workers in a lot of other contexts are dealing with. The specificities in Manitoba include an aggressive conservative provincial government that has used legislation and behind-the-scenes mandates to public sector employers to prevent wage increases. For UMFA, the context also included a round of wage-only bargaining in 2020 in which COVID and massive public health restrictions on collective action contributed to a narrow vote to accept a deal that many members thought was just not good. With the full contract coming up for bargaining in 2021, UMFA was deeply divided and in disarray. Some members wanted to put money into hiring external bargaining and media relations professionals. But a majority, including Kurnow, thought that rather than seeking more polished ways to ask for a better deal, they should get serious about organizing and building power among the members in order to be more able to demand one. So UMFA put a great deal of work, long before the possibility of a strike loomed, into building the strength of the union on the shop floor in a unit-by-unit way. One element of this was that they hired an organizer, who in turn built capacity to do that work among worker leaders. They also put a lot of work into talking with members to build a picture of what they wanted and what they were willing to fight for. In addition, and this was Kurnow's main focus, UMFA also began building power oriented outwards towards the community and the formal political realm. This was part of a strategic decision to target the provincial government's ongoing interference in the bargaining process. This externally focused work started from the deceptively simple approach of getting as many members as possible to meet with their MLAs to present some pretty easy and simple demands. Not only did this start a process of building relations of accountability between workers and politicians, but it also served as an important context in which members who had never done anything like this before could develop their capacities to take action and politicize their understandings of their situation, which in turn opened possibilities for other kinds of action. The strike itself began in early November 2021. There was both conventional picketing at the university and also what they called virtual picketing, which mobilized workers to take other kinds of actions from their own homes. 
In line with the choice to target the province, there was also a picket at the legislature every day, and UMFA members showed up to protest at pretty much every public event held by Manitoba's then-new premier. They also did door-to-door -door canvassing in conservative ridings, had a prolific and creative social media and meme game, and worked with a group of supportive students on theatrical, disruptive, and direct actions of various kinds. The strike lasted for five weeks, and it was resolved by an agreement to go to binding arbitration. That's generally not how unions prefer to resolve things, but it was binding arbitration that it was agreed would explicitly ignore the province's mandate to freeze wages. So while this is in no way a decisive win for the union, Curnow said that there were, quote, a lot of significant things, small wins, that came out of the strike, end quote. This included wage gains for UMFA's lowest paid members, significant progress in terms of building the union's capacity and political position, and pushing the province to make quiet but real concessions that it didn't want to make. In other words, despite the disarray the union had been in and the aggressive hostility from the province, an organizing orientation was able to accomplish a lot. I speak with Kerno about the University of Manitoba Faculty Association, about their recent strike, and about the lessons it holds for other public sector unions. My name is Joe Kerno. I am a professor in the Faculty of Education, where I study learning and social movements, and I am a University of Manitoba Faculty Association member and part of the organizing and communications team there. I come to academic work from community organizing and social movement work. I worked as a national organizer for student campaigns around trade justice. And then I went back to Chicago and did Alinsky style community organizing and labor solidarity work. I felt really unsatisfied with a lot of the questions that I was facing around how do we do social movement organizing better and in a more anti-racist and anti-colonial way where we win significant changes for people's lives. And so that is how I ended up going to grad school and then being a professor. And now in academic spaces, I use a learning sciences lens to think about how people learn and become radical in their community organizing and social movement work. I also work on prison and police abolition organizing in Winnipeg. The University of Manitoba Faculty Association, or UMFA as we call it, is the union of professors, librarians, and some smattering of other instructors and counselors and other student support workers at the University of Manitoba. We are about 1,260 members. It has historically been much more of a business union. But that is changing, and there's a lot of members who are really pushing to create more space for member-driven initiatives and an organizing focus for the future. What is the political context like in Manitoba? We have a conservative government right now that has been in power for quite some time. And currently, we are in this moment of continued austerity threats. There has been legislation since 2016 called the Public Sector Sustainability Act that said there could be no wage increases for public sector workers. The PSSA has been messing with workers' ability to get any kind of wage increase over the last six years. And now that we have a new premier who came into power in November, Heather Stephenson, her government said they were going to withdraw that legislation and no longer act on it. 
but that doesn't mean that they're going to stop meddling in university affairs, whether that be through wage mandates or through performance-based funding indicators. They pushed through other legislation this past year that says that they can do a lot of things to interfere with academic freedom, with the priorities of the university, with the funding model of the university. It's a pretty significant overreach and a threat to higher education. This government, though, has also tried to push through a lot of legislation that's wildly unpopular in the last several years. What were the specific issues and circumstances that led up to the strike by UMFA that started in November 2021? In 2020, we were in position to be bargaining on a wages-only round. This is, I think, a very non-traditional thing that had gotten written into our collective agreement when we were bargaining under the PSSA legislation. And so the PSSA was set to expire. So it was agreed that we would be able to open up the contract, not fully, but just based on wages, as soon as the three years of the PSSA had been completed. In 2020, we found out very early that there had been a government mandate placed on the university that said you cannot give UMFA workers anything. They have to get zeros. This is in the beginning of the pandemic. Members had been really clear that they wanted to see a wage increase, but I think there was a lot of trepidation about if people were willing to strike, what the impact would be on students. And then the week that we were going to vote on strike authorization, Manitoba moved into code red and we were in a lockdown. So we wouldn't be able to do any kind of outdoor picketing. It was very unclear about what a strike would look like if we couldn't gather together and how alienating it would be to be in your home alone and on strike. And so we got a really bad deal. It passed by a very, very, very slim margin. And people were unhappy. Everyone knew that it was a bad deal. And I think a lot of folks just really believed that it was the best that we could do in those conditions with a really aggressive government and in this like really significant pandemic crisis moment. And so what the organizing and communications team put forward at that time was, if we take this deal, we want to start organizing right now so that we are in a different position a year from now when the whole collective agreement is open so that we have the power to win significant changes. Over the course of a year, a couple of things became really clear. I think most significantly is that the question of wages is one of the ones that people care about most widely and deeply in our membership. I find this a little bit hard because we are highly paid public sector workers relatively, but compared to the comparator universities, the U15 of research-intensive universities, we are at the bottom of the scale. We're 14th out of 15, especially after taking years and years of zeros or near zeros. Members felt committed to organizing around a wage increase that was pretty significant. So the big issue in some ways is this question of wages, but what I think became clear through the organizing plan was that it's not actually just about wages. It's also really significantly about the recruitment and retention crisis that those wages have created at the university. And so through the organizing process and a lot of our outreach with MLAs, that became really clear. And that's part of the way that we collectivized and I think built a broader message around how wages for faculty, instructors, and librarians is actually not just a narrow question of like, do these workers get a pay increase, but really how does this impact the quality and the sustainability of the university and higher education in the province? So in the aftermath of this bad deal in the wages-only round of bargaining in 2020, what kinds of organizing did UMFA start doing? 
We put together an organizing and communications plan that was really ambitious. A couple of priorities that came out of that was one, really building power within units. We had about 30 members who participated in Jane McAlevey's Organizing for Power workshop over this summer. We were really thinking about what does the strike readiness model look like? We're not organized in a steward model. And so how do we build toward that and build that same kind of capacity in units? Also, how do we build relationships among all these new members who've been hired in the last couple of years who have literally never met their colleagues in real life? And what are the kinds of social spaces that we could create for people to be welcomed into the union and be brought up to speed? We thought about some of the communication strategy, some of the media strategy. But I think the biggest departure from what UMPA has done historically is that we also started thinking toward what would it look like to build power in the formal political realm. And that is where I spent most of my time. And that really drove a lot of the other organizing that was happening adjacent to it. We also hired an organizer to help us do this work. That person has been really invested in doing one-on-ones with the board of reps members, supporting them, providing orientation about like, here's how you do your job and here's what it would take to be successful and to push people toward data-driven decision-making around strike readiness. So how strong is your unit? Have you had constituency meetings? Do you know the extent to which members in your department are going to vote yes for strike action? Are they going to go out if we go on strike? What are the issues that they care about? All of those things. And so that's capacity that we, I think, really hadn't had in-house. And so I think that is an important investment that was made. That kind of planning in the organizing and communications plan was taken to the general membership and was approved. And this was in the context of a union that was, I think, very polarized. And the fallout from the November 2020 vote around strike authorization, where a lot of people were so mad that we were taking a bad deal, meant that this was a little complicated. There were a lot of people who were like, we need to hire a professional negotiator. There were a lot of people who were like, we need to hire a professional media firm. But then there were a lot of other people, including me, who were like, we need to do the work so that members are doing that and so that we actually have power to advance our demands. We're not relying on some external lawyer to like argue better based on the fact that we know that we're not really bargaining with the University of Manitoba. We're bargaining with the provincial government and we need to have the power to force them to give us what we want rather than to ask nicely and again have them tell us to go to hell. And so we really need to think about the balance of power and the forces at play that are bigger than our institution. And our union was in complete disarray in the summer, and that both took a lot of energy and time away from the organizing plan, but also I think makes it really significant that we did have the kind of participation in the strike that we did, given that we had an election that was extremely contentious, followed by the bargaining platform being extremely contentious. And it definitely shaped the context of organizing because it wasn't like we were a super healthy union moving forward in ideal conditions. Like in a lot of ways, this was like not a good way to go into bargaining. And our employer absolutely knew that. And still, I think we managed to pull off quite a lot because of the work that the organizing and communications team did around relationship building and around building power with MLAs. But it was definitely a rough context. What did that externally focused organizing involve? I come out of a community organizing background, and so that very much informed how we approached the MLA work. 
We wanted to go to elected officials and have every one of them know who we were and have a relationship of accountability with their constituents who are UMFA members. The team that was working on this mapped out where we had members across the province and then set out to get members first to email their MLAs, introducing themselves and explaining that government interference was having impact on our work lives and then asking them to meet with us. We asked members also to come to these meetings with MLAs. Both of those we thought of as structure tests, which gave us an idea of how engaged members were that gave us information about what kind of participation we could expect. Because again, going from nothing, we had very little idea if members would be willing to do this. So we did also then a lot of preparation with folks. Before every meeting, we had prep sessions where everyone got to know each other and the other people in their writings, and also to talk about the ways that the government mandate and interference in our workplaces was impacting them. And that was the first conversation that started to surface the widespread recruitment and retention crisis that we were facing. So it was really important for elected officials to hear that, but it was really even more important for our members to hear that and to hear that their experience was not isolated and to hear that their colleagues were having the same experience and were having this really bad time. So it really collectivized the experience and it politicized it. And then because this was happening in the context of conversations with elected officials, we were in this interesting position to really develop some relationships of accountability where we were asking elected officials to do specific things in response to this problem that we were articulating. We met with all of the liberal and NDP MLAs where we have members. We tried to meet with conservatives, but they would not meet with us with the exception of two. In these meetings, we asked for a couple of things. One, we asked them to find out if there was a government mandate and let us know. So that was one way that they could do something, get back to us, and we could say to our members that they had been accountable, that they had done what they said that they would do. We asked them to speak out when the ledge was sitting and to make a statement in support of UMFA's ability to freely and fairly bargain with our employer. These were really modest asks. And we thought that was important as a first step to what we hope is a long-term relationship of accountability, but giving them an opportunity to do something to follow up and for us to communicate with our members about that was part of our process. And all of this was about politicizing the context for our members. I think a lot of members hadn't done elected official meetings before, and so it was a real step for them politically. So building that capacity was important, but also then letting them see or hear when elected officials did a bad job or like refused to meet with us was also part of that politicizing process. Folks want to assume that their elected officials are good and going to act in the best interest of the university. And so when they didn't do that, that then emboldened a lot of our members to take on more aggressive actions, to escalate, to talk to their neighbors about it and things like that. As we moved closer to the strike, we did a major press conference with the NDP and the liberal parties. And that really framed the debate for the public. And so recruitment and retention just off the hop became a key thing and especially framed around our researchers and professors and librarians who work in health sciences, given the broader context of COVID in the province. We also did a lot of outreach to press around that, that highlighted the role of our members in addressing the pandemic and how this recruitment and retention crisis and our pay related to that. Beyond standard kinds of picketing at the university, what other kinds of actions did members engage in during the strike? We did two things that I think were non-conventional for union job action. 
One was that we really targeted the provincial government very aggressively from day one. While we had picket lines happening on campus at all of the entrances, we also had a picket every day at the legislature. That was one way for us to signal that we understood that the provincial government was at the table and so much of our messaging was oriented to like getting the government out of our bargaining so that we could bargain with our employer. We also did a lot of work to target Heather Stephenson. We were at every single thing that she was at. She could not go in public without it being framed in relationship to her government's failure to address the strike. And it really shifted how their government was interacting with us. It really put them off their footing, put them on the defensive. And eventually, I think, is why we were able to get to a point where the university was offering us finding arbitration. And the agreement is that the mandate cannot be taken into account, which is, I think, a win with probably an asterisk, right? Binding arbitration is never the best for workers, but it is a way for us to get around what has been a totally stifling mandate that has resulted in zero increases on wages for a lot of workers in this province. We also planned sit-ins at Stephenson's constituency office. We took members to her writing to go door-to-door flyering. We did a pots and pans march through her neighborhood so that all of her constituents would see us and hear us and understand that we are a problem that was not going away. Then we moved our canvassing operation so that every PC elected official who had refused to meet with us got their writing canvassed door-to-door. And this is after we've done phone zaps, after we've had thousands of emails sent to these elected officials. All of this, I think, was important for members being able to see that this government did not have the best interest of us as workers or anyone in the university at heart and was really willing to do anything to distract and to disinvest from higher education. Another distinctive approach because of pandemic was that we had something like 200 members who were doing their picket duty virtually. There was a really strong chance that that could be very isolating. Folks like alienated at home on their own, reading the comment section of the free press and feeling terrible. But instead, I think it really built community in a different way. And so those folks met every day with small groups and then set out to do different things. Some of that was doing persistent calls to all of the elected officials in the province emailing elected officials, emailing colleagues, and emailing their neighbors to tell them about the impacts. Also social media stuff. So we had like a really lit meme game, like just so much content, letting all this member creativity come through. The one thing that I have totally glossed is how amazing the support we got from some students was. There was a group of students that came together as the group Student Supporting Umpa, and they were amazing, kind of like a rapid response kind of mobilization squad. And they were excellent partners with us in terms of planning sit-ins and planning their own actions and doing these confrontational tactics. And I think their organizing really buoyed the Umpa work and coupled with like our broader planning and media game, it was an important component of what shifted the needle with the provincial government. To what extent would you characterize this as at least a small victory? I wouldn't use the word victory. Coming out of union organizing and community organizing, I think that our victories have to have significant, immediate, concrete changes to people's lives. And I'm not sure that what we got does that. We want to use our power while we have it. And you spend five weeks building your power and arbitration feels like you give all that power to someone else and then they decide, which doesn't feel like a win. 
But I do think that there were a lot of significant things, small wins, that come out of the strike. The relationships that are built on the lines are really significant and I think potentially pay dividends if we continue to organize. Politicizing members around the provincial government is actually a really big win. And I think that goes well beyond our membership. And I think we've already seen that start to pay off in interesting ways. The nursing faculty is, I think, a really good example of one of the small wins. There was all this collective work that they were really eager to do, and they came together and did. We also then organized to make sure that they were included in the meetings that we had with the NDP critic for health. And then that critic started to reach out and has been having meetings with them fairly regularly. They are now shaping the policies that the NDP is pulling together for the next round of elections. And that's the kind of relationship that I think we're really looking for long term. We want whichever party is in power to come to us whenever there's a question of the direction for post-secondary and the related fields. Moving toward member-driven unionism is a win, and it's a much longer-term fight. And certainly having one complicated year to do that isn't enough. And so for me, that is like an in-process win. And we have so many folks who are newly engaged in UMFA. And so I think the question now is how do we find space for them to continue to be involved? Some of the way that we're doing that now is a COVID response team that's trying to take the energy from the strike and push it into thinking about safety on campus. Is organizing that's happening around performance-based funding and trying to get out ahead of what we think the conservative government is going to push through. And so using the energy and the leadership and some of the infrastructure that was built through the strike to do this work is, I think, again, the kind of small-scale win that is useful to us in the long run. I also think that we had some actual wins with elected officials in terms of making the conservative government back down on the interference. The fact that the PSSA was withdrawn, I think, is a reflection of the organizing that we did. I think that we were successful in showing that there's a different way for unions to work in Manitoba. For a relatively small union of 1,200 workers to go out and take on the provincial government head on is not a small win. It's not enough. It is just the first step. And certainly, I think we should be building towards much larger coalitions but I think it is a step and it certainly shows people the possibility of doing things differently, of bringing in new tactics that are more confrontational, that do put elected officials off their footing and demand accountability in real life, face to face. And what kinds of lessons do you think other public sector unions in Manitoba and across Canada should derive from all of this? I think the biggest is like organizing all the time. We are just starting that journey, hopefully. But many of our unions need to be organizing all the time, not just around bargaining. And so thinking about what that looks like and how we build capacity and infrastructure for that. And for us, moving towards a really strong unit by unit organization model is, I think, the goal. We don't have power if we don't have that. But I think also doing the community organizing work, thinking about the tactics and the strategies that go along with community organizing is another thing that I think is interesting and important. And part of that for us was doing these confrontational tactics where we met elected officials face to face and asked them to be accountable and told our members and the public when they weren't. That was a pretty big shift for unions in Canada, I think. There are some unions that have done that kind of work for a long time, but that is one of the things that I would like to see more of. And I think that that also builds capacity among our members to be engaging in social movements and organizing for the common good much more broadly. 
how do we not just bargain for our own wages and workplace issues, but organizing towards something much more significant for all of us. You have been listening to my interview with Joe Kerno about the University of Manitoba Faculty Association's recent strike. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. Thank you.